Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have indie rock artist Ed Roman to talk about his experience with growing food and music. Ed is an award-winning singer-songwriter, performer, and multi-instrumentalist from Shelbourne, Ontario, Canada. Blurring the lines between pop, rock, folk, and country music, Ed's uniquely crafted songs have received regular rotation on more than 100 terrestrial radio stations across North America and more than 400 stations worldwide. Ed is a 2014 International Music and Entertainment Association Award winner, a two-time IMEA Award nominee, a Josie Show Awards nominee, an Academia Awards winner, and 2016 Liberia Awards nominee, and a two-time Indie Music Channel Award winner. Wow, that's a lot. Ed is also a farmer who grows his own food for his family and community. Welcome to the show today, Ed. Hey, Greg, it's a pleasure to be on the Urban Farm, my friend. Thank you so much. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure. I guess we're always sort of filling in the blanks as we go along. That's the beauty of life. Um, yeah, I, I grew up at an amazing time in, in, in our culture. The 21st century now is so uh, inundated with digitized sort of thinking and methodology, and it brings us right now together in this conversation, ironically. But yeah, isn't that, that crazy? With, with that said, you know, we lived on 1,500 acres and had 250 um, uh, Holsteins that we milked. Plus, oh, wow. my pa- parents brought uh, blonde Aquitaines into uh, Canada from France back in the 70s. And well, what... My dad, because of international things that he was doing, um, and because he was the mayor of our town uh-huh. for 30 years, uh, federal MP, first coalition candidate ever in the history of Canadian federal politics. Uh-huh. 
uh, police commissioner. He was traveling a lot. He was knighted for his ability to be able to smell certain things and wines in Burgundy in France. So oh, interesting. This, this connection to France and even who I'm named after is a gentleman by the name of Eddie Robiton, who was a, a cattle exporter. So farming is in my blood. And even when my parents came as young children from Europe, uh, grandparents, we did this as a part of our lifestyle. It wasn't anything that was related to uh, prepping or people that are living outside of the box. It's how we sustained a good portion of our existence. So, you know, when we were kids and we went to the grocery store, it was like, basic things that you needed for you know six months of the year which was like coffee maybe you're a local butcher things that were like that but almost 90 percent of everything that was on our dinner table came from our farm in our backyards uh-huh. and because of that you know and as people say you know it's like well kids you know they they love to get involved with what their parents are doing i was lucky enough because of that time frame to have that kind of enthusiasm around me in, in what we did, even when we were working with the cattle. It wasn't a chore. Yes, we all had these responsibilities that we did every day, but uh-huh. the, the glory, if I can say that, behind how we achieved what we did was what fed us emotionally. This is another reason like people like, well, I can't garden, I can't grow things, I can't farm. Well, you know, as we move through anything as people, hopefully we perceive what we're doing uh-huh. and we learn, we learn from our experiences. Right. So I'm always trying to encourage people, yes, you can do this, I can give you tips. You don't need a farm, you'd be surprised at how much food you can grow. So with that said, I also, you know, in a metaphorical kind of way, grew up in the 70s when music to me was more like a garden. Oh, yes. Where uh, there was a, a huge amount of different kinds of music that were flowing through my home. Mm-hmm. Th- three generations of people living together. So I had influx of Eastern European and classical music. My parents were under the jazz and popular era of the 50s. Right. My brothers and sisters, 10 years older than I, were listening to music from the 60s and 70s when I came of age in the 80s. I had close to 50 to 60 years of music at my disposal. Oh, wow. It was everywhere because nobody was isolated with a computer hiding in a bedroom. Right. We had one TV with three stations (laughs) and and we got like a Buffalo, New York station and two Toronto stations. And and then, you know, we had a couple radios, but then there was records playing all the time. And and vinyl, right? Vinyl, like yeah. fighting for record space. You know, you know, my sister's got her John Denver on. My brother wants to listen to Deep Purple. Then my dad's gonna put on his Sinatra records. <laughs> it was just like so. Here, I got this bathtub, let's say, of ideas and things that were always at my doorstep. And not only that, look, I remember coming home in 1980, and even in the 70s, and in 81 into my kitchen and people sitting around you know at four o'clock the bus drops you off why are people crying did somebody die these were moments when i remember elvis presley dying oh yeah john lennon being assassinated bob marley you know being killed uh dying excuse me yeah with all that said i realized the power that word and music had in culture right i was i was hooked and as I got older, I started to, you know, study music and things like that. And it led me down the path of realization that, look, it's all music. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's jazz, funk, rock, R&B, country, soul, disco, I don't care. 
If it's good, it works. Ellington once said there's only two types of music, good music and bad music. <laughs> and, and, and a garden to me is the same way. Yeah, right. You can grow a crop of one thing and provide and turn it. But to me, I also know what happens during cross-pollination. Uh-huh. And I've got some amazing results through music and allowing the garden, if you will, to take hold. So when people say I blur the lines between certain genres, that's just me letting things cross-pollinate because they're telling me that. You know, you know as well as I do, Greg, and I'm sure James is a gardener as well, it's like, look, I can't control what a bee does. And if all of a sudden my zucchini is crossed with a, a gourd that I've got, and now I've got a cross between a zucchini and a spaghetti squash, uh-huh. I'm, I feel I'm lucky. And I didn't have anything to do with that experience other than that I allowed the space to exist for it to occur. And yeah. music and art work the same way for me. As I get older, I start to realize, okay, you may have written a tune, and it might be about a certain subject, but when you set off on that course, your original intention is this, but as it pulls you through the experience, you mm-hmm. realize, wait, no, 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 it needs to be like this. And it's telling you it wants to be like this. And it's showing you more through the process than you thought that you, well, you were originally going through. And the same thing with gardening. You look at your plants. They're talking to you. They're saying, we need this. There's too much you know, light space being it up by these big gourds. I, know, I want more light. Can you taper this down somehow? Pick some flowers and bread them and eat them for crying out loud. Uh-huh. All of that, to me, works the same way. Like when Al, or, or um, Nimoy, uh, excuse me, left the building a little while ago, Mr. Spock, yep. you know, his final statement on Twitter was, life is like a garden, and I'm paraphrasing. But in, in Leonard, when he said that, it was like, I'd, you know, potent at the time, but even more and more as I go on, I go, wow, you know, he's so right. Right. Um, and, and that's the way I see life. I try to live my life that way every day, and, 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 I'm, and I'm interested in, in things that, that propel me through what that is. You uh-huh. hear a lot of sociopolitical stuff in my music just because it was my background. My, at the age of five, when there's 12 of us all sitting around a dinner table, after the huge political discussion, my dad looks at me and goes, well, what do you think? You know, I realized my opinion mattered even at a young age. I mean, I was canvassing doors at the age of seven. So uh, knowing what's going on in politics, and and I also have, uh, if you will, a a big uh, interest in crypto politics because this isn't something new in my mental horizon. Uh My my father and my uncle, both being who they were, um, had a lot of connections to, let's say, the proverbial line before the carpet or the curtain starts where the other people that we may not know and in a clandestine fashion are behaving. So when you're like a wealthy mining tycoon and invited to the Vatican for, you know, uh, uh, Vatican II, which is uh-huh. to talk about the divinity of Christ, uh, my uncle was sort of, you know, let's say uh, not manipulated but tried uh, people tried to coerce him in certain ways to behave and to act and to participate in things and i and my and my father was even almost bribed a number of times in political office interesting so i I want you to i want you to define something for me i want you to define crypto politics because i've not heard that term before well because i've i've defined it it's it's a thing that i've created and i'm actually thinking about writing a book called the 21st century guide to crypto politics and what i mean by that is for instance 
Uh, people have a, the acts and the bills that are being passed in Canada and the pharmacological acts that are, you know, being passed, uh -huh. which again, turn sponsor farms through subsidies and give them seeds provided they pay into them. People think, well, this is for the betterment of the common good. It's sold in a commercial fashion to people through advertisement, basic uh -huh. stuff that the federal government does. But then you realize that on a corporate level that Monsanto in uh, 1996 moved here their head offices onto the campus of the biggest and oldest agricultural college that we have in this country really and they are the biggest lobbyists to the federal government and mm -hmm. give money left right and center to what that is so that agenda goes through now you have 95 percent of the farming union that's pleading with the agricultural minister and saying please don't allow this to occur and they're being ignored this is what I mean by crypto politics. Got it. So it sounds to me like you've been growing food really all your life. Can you tell us about your garden and the gardens you're growing in uh, Canada? Sure. Uh, well, when I was a kid, we had about a two acre garden always. Um, and my dad was, you know, and mom were both extremely passionate about, you know, not only growing food for ourselves, but, you know, we st took stuff to market, uh -huh. was, you know, farming competitions. We had a big family of 50 of us between all the families that lived in that uh, neck of the woods. So it was like we were sharing continually as well. Uh, my gardening and how it's changed is, well, I'm no longer on that 1,500 acres. I'm in, a, in an old rural uh, farming community where I live. Oh, nice. But my, my garden is about 80 by 60. And uh, wow. in, that, in that space, I mean, I can't keep up <laughs> with, with, with everything that I'm growing. I shut, sent you that little photo earlier. We usually do 24 different kinds of tomato plants, yeah. 24 different peppers. I'm doing okra this year. But lettuce and snap peas and potatoes, we usually do 15 to 20 rows and about 12 rows of beets. And the list is like endless in terms of like how much we grow and what we grow and we're always rotating and things like that but we have to go through the canning and our jarring process mm -hmm. come October because as I said we can't even keep up with the amount of food and at the same time we've developed store trade with some smaller stores in town oh so nice specifically gonna start doing that this year with uh, cabbage uh, certain kinds of pumpkins, um, okra, obviously, because we have a big influx of West Indies people moving up into our neck of the woods. Oh, right, of course. So, so, so that aside from store trade, then there's the small sales that go on with the other store that's in town. Mm -hmm. Now, I, and people are like, you know, I, I always point out to people, it's like, you can actually make money from your own backyard, even if you're not doing a store trade or selling it. Oh, yeah. Think about, think, man, of how much money you save every year. And and the the that sort of you know glorified feeling of like look in the morning I can go out and pick something and eat it for dinner I can go out and pick things <laughs> for dinner and eat it isn't that great it is and here's the thing aside from the let's say people think it's arduous or it's work or whatever I guess when I was talking before about the passionate side of things in terms of it that love relationship that tactical relationship that you redevelop so it's not the arbitrary drive to the grocery store check out on the conveyor belt there's a newfound love for what and where and how food is grown uh -huh. and, and i think that changes your, your whole perspective yeah. as far as eating consuming and everything else fantastic so you mentioned when we were chatting before we started recording 
about some work you're doing in Jamaica. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, I fell in love with Treasure Island and books like that as a kid. Yeah. And uh, I, 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 you know, in my, my teens, like, who's Bob Marley? Who's Peter Tosh? Who's, you know, mm. Jimmy Cliff? Oh, yeah. I, I just love reggae music, the messages behind it, uh, the simplicity, the complexity. Um, and then being there, we hadn't been anywhere in 10 years because it's work, work, work as two artists. So I said to my wife, come on, let's go. We went to a resort, but in a very short time, we made a lot of friends with gardening staff and people that were cook, cooks and musicians that were at the resort. And we just thought, look, let's go back, but not do that and find a place in the jungle somewhere. And we did. <laughs> And Papa Curvin's is a recording studio with four little cabins. They're just three doors down from UB40. Oh, uh, nice. Ian, Fle Ian Fleming's house is just down the street. You're uh -huh. right near James Bond Beach. That said, we have the real island experience. And people, I think, don't realize that Jamaicans work a lot. Mm -hmm. But the cost of living is almost symmetrical when you think of it as it is to here. And the average Jamaican makes about $135 in a fortnight American. And then you go grocery shopping to a store store to buy other things. And you're like, wow, it's really expensive. No wonder it's, and that's, that's why we, you know, realizing these things, look, Jamaicans may not have running water. They may not have a toilet seat. They bathe in the river. But they have a, a modern 21st century phone to keep up with the Joneses, let's say. Uh -huh. So I wanted to write a tune about my experience being there. And in that time frame, you know, people can't help but ask you for things. And, you know, okay, well, we found a place here that ships stuff in barrels really cheaply. Uh -huh. And so at our own cost, we, we pay for the barrels. But we've said to neighbors and friends and family, look. You got old shoes, kids' clothes, electronics, books, whatever. It doesn't matter. They need this stuff. Oh. And and we started collecting stuff in our garage. And about every four to six months, we get three to four of these big, huge shipping barrels and send them down there to kind of give back. And people are like, well, what organization is it part of? No organization. It's just you got to think about your fellow man and just go yeah. ahead and do it right. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, we also became godparents to a child there. So we kind of got family. And my wife and I's, you know, 10-year plan is to build an artist retreat there, similar to Papa Curvin's, that people can go record music, hang out. Uh, we know so many people on the island now, and I've played music all over the island. I, I, I met Bunny Whaler. I actually sought him out because a lot of the musicians that are there – our wayward boys or were living on the street and they went to this place called alpha boys school uh -huh. and they, they teach five trades one of which is music and when i found oh, that wow. out and, and that bunny whaler was actually trying to start a school but the uh, ministry ministry of education was giving him a bit of a hard time because he's a rasta I thought, well, wait a minute. I wonder if we did like an international or global fundraiser to try to put together this kind of bookmobile concept, but of a music school. So the bus oh, would travel nice. from parish to parish, yeah. teaching young kids hands-on, you know, because look, as I said before, those early experiences you have as a kid mm -hmm. with somebody that's enthusiastic yeah. will last a lifetime. Because most kids won't get hands-on instrumentation experience unless they're lucky enough to have an instrument. Yep, exactly. And at the same time in the older grades. So I thought, okay, I met Bunny. 
he said, yes, I would support this kind of a thing. We need 10 more people like you. And he looks at my wife and says, and we need 20 more like her. <laughs> and, and, and I thought, okay, well, this could work, but there's a lot of red tape. And uh -huh. as I slowly work my way more onto the island, so it's not who's the white cat from Canada wanting to do this for no reason. Right. I can figure it out and make it work. I already know a Dutch company that tried a recycling program. It was working oh. for three years. They developed an infrastructure. It was They were cleaning up Jamaica, and the government came in and started to tax them. They said, we're out of here. Mm. So if, I, if I'm getting thousands of dollars in charitable donations to make this work, I don't want to you know let the kids down, first of all, and then yeah. have it not work. So. Right. It's tricky. <laughs> wow. So and so we've been kind of skating along the music. Let's go there next. So your current album, Letters from High Latitudes, is described as being an earthy, funky, magical mix of music and a vehicle for your socio-political, earthly conscious, and globally awareness messages. Can you tell us a bit about that? <laughs> oh, I'm funky at heart. You know, I like all kinds of music. But yeah? It's got a... Music's got to have, to me, some sort of soul and some kind of a message in it. Oh, I, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, like I said, I'm a child of the 70s. So when you think about some of the, the chutzpah behind th that music, you, you know, for me, it's the same thing. And I, oh, big I time. also think we live at a really important time, Greg, in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. We have the ability to make a lot of choices on our own without yeah. it having to be a part of group think. And I think that that's more of what the revolution, if you will, when it comes to common sense thinking needs to be. Ye, the torch bat, take it up against the government methodology is never going to work. Mm -hmm. My grandfather left Europe and was disowned by his family in the twenties because he said, look, man, you know, this guy, Hitler, He's going to go crazy. Oh, yeah. Half, half of my family were wound up, put in concentration camps and killed. So his decision to live but not participate is, to me, the key and the message in a lot of my music. Mm. It, it, mm -hmm. it means that, yes, that might be there. Yes, you may not have another country to run to. But the choices that we do and make every day will affect everything for in the seven generation mentality, because I spent a lot of time with Cree people um, and their idea is that you have to think in seven generations. It's hard for people oh, to yeah. think what happened about a week ago. Let right. Alone exactly. Seven generations. Yeah. But it takes away the fear mm -hmm. that so many people that I have and speak to have. And once you're empowered with certain things, like maybe I shouldn't buy those seeds because you start to realize I can live my life this way without it being the way that it, you know, like I said, the big red button is always on, right? Oh, yeah. So tell us the big red button. Well, you know, the flight or fight mechanism. Oh, yes. I, yeah. I, if I turn on a television show and you were here right now, even our national weather syndicate. <laughs> the ladies will come on. She'll give you the flooding in Peru. She'll talk about the wildfires and fires in Alberta. She'll da 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 da, and she'll say it with a smile on her face. Yep. And to me, psychologically, because I've worked with kids for almost 25 years as a teacher, including special children as well as kids that are addicted to certain kinds of things, I know well enough the angst and the anxiety and kind of where it comes from. Yeah. And because of that, 
it sells things oh, yeah. for, for them. Invariably, when we're watching that show, you and I, Greg, we will go to commercial. And what will we have? We'll have the things that you'll need for the next megastorm. You'll have a battery commercial. You'll have a generator commercial. You'll have something about food. And just so that you don't feel too guilty, here's a nice vacation commercial. Yeah. And psychologically, that means that people are always being pulled up and pulled down, pulled up yeah. and pulled down. And once you realize what that is, the big red button mm. is what I mean, there yep. is no more red button. You just live your life. Got it. So I saw your music video. I found God. Love it. And for those listeners who haven't heard your music yet, um, can you share a bit about that song and maybe tell us where we can listen to it at? Yes, you can go to Vivo, uh, my station on Vivo. Just search Ed Rollman, or you can go to YouTube, uh-huh. Vivo HD. Woohoo! Sharp. <laughs> but that's his, that tune is like something that's more for me an epitaph, stone tune. You know, I, I'm a bit of a pantheist and maybe a neo pantheist. And because of that, you know, and because I've also spent enough time playing in African bands, hanging out with a lot of Jamaicans and Rastas, hanging out with Crees, Ojibwe's, there's an, a flow of thinking about the world and what it is. Uh-huh. And this Mother Earth Gia-esque, as I said, concept to me is a reality. Um, I'm about to play a huge show tomorrow in the city of Toronto that uh, Ken Hall and Patricia Burns are doing. It's a full anatomically blown out sculpture of a whale that washed up on the beaches of California. Wow. Marine biologists determined we're so poisoned. It was the most poisoned aquatic life animal they've ever come across. Aww. Ken's background was in digital graphics. He blew out the entire sculpture and built it out of found wood, discarded objects. And I play all this whale music on wow. the upright bass and make these pilot whale sounds. This is this concept of what we do to the earth we do to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we as people don't realize because we live in this sort of insular-esque kind of bubble about things uh, that it's happening Um, we can't turn a blind eye to what those things are whether it's us or it's natural Uh it's part of a a solar cycle that happens every 12,500 to 36,000 years which is almost incomprehensible to most people right time-wise yeah for time-wise for me that song says these things what you're standing on is God without it we wouldn't be fighting, killing, loving, hugging, hating, kissing, and all those things with each other and exist and function. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to say that, you know, it, it's been right beneath your shoes. It's been leaving subtle clues. And, I, and I, I, say, I say the line, I feel it so complete. It came upon a, a vision. I leave you my admissions. That's why I say it's almost like an epitaph. Thing right. Because without getting overly emotional about it, because I can't. Uh-huh. And that's the way I am as a person. Um, Congratulations, by the way. I'm, I'm trying to get people to realize that because I've had, aside from the, wow, what a great dinner and look at my carrot, it's bigger than a child experience. Those quiet, subtle moments standing on t- two feet, barefoot yeah. on the earth, I've had things that have occurred to me uh-huh. that I can't, I could never pay for. Yeah. And could never be taken away from me. So that song means a lot to me. Yeah, I can tell. I can tell. Pardon me, folks. No, it's just, you're. It's just, it's just Ed. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. 
That's great. I was going to ask you to share a few lines. And as I was thinking that you were sharing a few, a few lines from it. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Greg, uh, you know, I, uh, people say, well, Ed, you know, why aren't you writing the big tunes and making lots of money and stuff? I, I just want to make a living. Yeah. And my art is a reflection of, of who I am without sounding egotistical. I found more, I feel more like Pliny the Younger these days. Uh-huh. Uh, witnessing the strange pyroclastic flow, you know, and trying to describe the situation that you're existing in. Mm-hmm. So if anything, I, I have to be able to look back from album to album, year to year, or hopefully if I make it to a twilight year in my life and go, I wrote what I wrote because it meant something to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's art. And Herbie Hancock once said the definition of an artist is one who has their the ability to fuse their life with the rhythm of the times. So, you know, I've never oh, been wow. about the disco pants and haircuts, even though I like disco pants and haircuts. Uh-huh. Give us that uh, Herbie Hancock quote again. That was beautiful. The definition of an artist is one who has the ability to fuse their life with the rhythm of the times. Wow. He wrote that on the back of Jaco Pistorius's first solo record. And he, there's another guy with a huge influence on my life as far as being an electric bass player is concerned. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, Her- Herbie's the guy, man. Yeah, sounds like it. So tell us what projects you're currently working on. Well, I, I, I was so eloquently asked by Jill Powell from uh, Heart Songs for Veterans uh, Corporation in the U.S. who is helping assist veterans that are in need of financial aid all over the place to write a song for this acoustical release called heart songs and in the process of writing and i'm always writing you know i found a grouping of 12 tunes that are going on the next record and this particular song lay one down seemed to fit the moment and not only that for me as a writer it has a bit of a trojan horse kind of metaphor to it because as i you pointed out i'm very socio-political and i am trying to help out people even though i'm a pacifist and i'm not a proponent of war uh-huh. um i'm trying to get people to think about their fellow man and to lay down their aggressions and to, uh, you know, not react to these uh, gut uh, instinct things that uh, propel us into horrific situations. Mm -hmm. And I've met so many vets all over the U.S. playing in the last year and a half. Their stories are all similar. Their experiences are all similar. They're different people, but my heart goes out to them. So Mm -hmm. when I was asked, I was like, well, yeah, you know, how can I help? And, and with that said, that al- that song, excuse me, is going on the new album, which is coming out very shortly in the next three, four weeks. Nice. It's called Red Omen, and it's an anagram of my own name. And it's, oh, a, it's, a, it's, a, look, it's a look at, you know, not only me, but everything that's kind of going on around me. You know, I, 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 I love Egyptology. And years ago when I was a kid, I was like, I wanted to be an archaeologist. And I just love archaeology. And this one guy that's an IT expert decided to take it upon himself just as a hobby to start uh, studying Egyptian hieroglyphs. Oh, wow. He, he, he went back to the original Rosetta Stone, which coincidentally is a song from Letters from High Latitudes, 
and started to realize that the Greek Latin uh, hieroglyphic translations were correct, but they were looking only at them as far as vowels and syllables. They weren't looking them at, at as them as acronyms or uh, the phrases themselves uh -huh. inside of what the entire cartouche is. So what he said is that our language at some point in time is going to be like this. We're already this way. You open up your smartphone. It's filled with icons. <laughs> yep. They compute millions of bits of data instantaneously. We use acronyms continually. We now have emoticons that relate to certain things emotionally. This is kind of what the record is. It's filled with these iconographical symbols as well as statements that are that are talking about the again this kind of moment in time that we live in and also suggesting that maybe you know it's a good idea to get outside and do some things in the backyard <laughs> you think yeah you think <laughs> so what do you consider your biggest success my biggest success is probably the realization that I'll never stop learning hmm I, 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 Beautiful. I, I, I love getting an award and an acclamation, but at the same time, I, I'm just happy to practice my craft. Like this is the most important thing to me and to keep learning about what's happening to me and learning more about music. Os Oscar Peterson said, you know, before he died, I'll never stop learning until he died. Yeah. And he was one of the world's greatest piano players, as well as the chancellor of music at York University. And, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for people that are like that. Uh -huh. So I think that's my greatest success, that I can have that realization, because I've seen a lot of ego in the industry. Oh, yes. And, and, and with that said, then becomes this stale, stagnant clinical aspect to trying to only massage the ego as opposed to what is the craft about. Yeah. Yeah. And what drives you? People, man. People and, and injustice, I would say. I can, I can hear, I, absolutely hear I, that. I, 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 I see it so often and, and, and just even as a kid, like, I mean, maybe I take it for granted that my parents the way were the way they were, but I was taught to respect people in every walk of life. Absolutely. We came, we came here with nothing. Yep. Uh, we were kind of considered dirty foreigners. My mom was a gypsy because she had earrings and we ate garlic. And <laughs> this wasn't something that was normal for Canadians in the 20s. Right. So, you know, I think that that humbled and not like we weren't humble people because but at the same time, you know, my father said, look, you meet somebody, smile at them, you know, look them at the eye, introduce yourself, shake their hand. All of that is is where I see this change in, in society, where even the sense of common courtesy, if I say something, Greg, to at a, at go to the, pay the till and I say, thank you kindly. And the woman looks at me and says, what? And I'm like, I said, you know, thank you kindly. Uh -huh. like, and then I see other people that are coming in and out and like, give me this, give me that. And, da -da, yep. and, there, and I get it. You're busy. But this civility that we have towards each other and some sense of empathy for each other's situations is, yeah. what's not, you know, stopped us from killing one another already, you know. So I'm pushed by that. I'm driven by that. And through that, I'm, I'm, it, I find positivity because as an artist – and as a dyslexic, also struggling all my life, you have to learn to think creatively about yeah. your situation. Yeah. 
So I can completely that, get that. that. That's it, man. I wake up every day, I see something, and go, man. Well, and the ki- something. The kindness comes shows up in this generosity. Well, that's it. I, the randomness of it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, because even if it's here, here's some of my garlic. Oh, I didn't expect you to bring me any garlic. Yeah. Here, here you go. You're opening a door, saying yeah. thank you. How about putting your signal on when you change lanes? Yeah, exactly. So I'm all about education, and I have to know: is there a book or two that have been influential in your? Let's go with the gardening life. Sure, I would say the botany of desire. Oh yes, that's a big one for me because mm-hmm. you start to realize, and, and and food of the gods, archaic revival tied into that. My Terence McKenna phase, the food and agriculture. I mean, you are what you eat, right? The old oh yeah, is, is true, big time. And when people also don't realize is that these things, aside from, you know, sustaining us um, metabolically, they are responsible for huge cultural changes. Oh, yes. People, I say to people, where does the word salary come from? Like, I don't know. You get paid money every day, you know, week, two, every two weeks you go to the bank. No, where does the word come from? Salary. I don't know. Salary? No, you're close. I don't, I don't know. Where does it come from? Well, it's, it's Roman and you used to get paid in salt. Oh, so sala, right? Salt, mm-hmm. sal coming from that means you got paid your salary, your worth in salt for oh. your work because salt and spices were worth more than gold back then. Oh, if you right. had a good source of salt, then you could preserve your food, you could cure certain things, your food would taste better. Interesting. All, all of those kinds of things. So, uh, you know, that, that, that I'd say that book alone and a lot of that made me realize how important food was outside of my own experience. Like, I'm, you know, I have food every day on my table. Thanks, right. Mom and Dad, for helping me do this and learning. Uh, it's a huge one. Right. Wow. So what one final piece of advice you have for our listeners? <laughs> and I and I realized that I just opened the opened the book for you to say a whole lot and I invite you, know, you to. Okay, for the listeners I, and I, look, I, I'm all about perception. Uh-huh. And paying attention. You know, maybe as a kid I was like my dad you know, 70s, a little heavy handed, you know, Jesus boy, pay attention. You know, like we also grew up on a farm where anything could happen from being crushed by a large animal to being, you know, killed by a tractor. And I've right. had friends that have died in farming accidents. Okay. Uh, you become extremely aware of things. And what I'm always concerned of and, and, and you know, unsure of is. When I mention certain basic things about stuff that are going on, and not like theoretical physics or you know strange literary uh, books that have been written that are obscure that maybe nobody would hear of, it's just this common sense baseline thing. And I go to myself, but this is the art of perceptions. Like I was saying before at the beginning of the show, this uh-huh. gardening thing, I can't garden. We'll pay attention to what's going on. Yeah. And before you know it, you start living symbiotically with that and your perception level starts to change. And, and I think when you when that happens, a multitude of other things turn on in your life in a way that is far greater than any app, movie, mm-hmm. vacation experience or anything because it happens every moment. My mom would yeah. say to me, Edward, every day is a gift. 
And as I get older, I realize that more and more because the perception of it becomes more and more intense. Yeah. So that's, you know, perceive people however you want to look at it. Be perceptive. Look, pay attention. You know, give to your fellow man. Even if you hardly have any yourself, it comes back a tenfold. And every day is a gift. Every day is a gift. Thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Ed. It's been a treat having you. I'm a pleasure to be here. And I I can't wait to share this with people because I I just love talking about food and agriculture. I can tell. So how can our listeners get a hold of you and learn more about your music? Come on over to edroman.net all the time, anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You can get the Ed Roman app for free. Oh, nice. ITunes. It's good for your Android device, all your iPod, iPad, all that. Stay, keeps you up to date. Has all my social media there. You'll get my social media through my website, stuff on YouTube. Follow me on SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook. <laughs> You're everywhere. I'm everywhere. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much. Hey, Greg, thank you. And thanks a lot, James, for uh, running the show. Yeah, James is great at editing. So that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.